Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, August 23rd of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is August 28th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And today, for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, 5.30 a.m., and since it's a call-in podcast, we all shift time zones depending on our own travels from time to time. Our little team is working to be faithful to lectionary year C, and that puts us in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday, which is at a banquet on Sunday. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the lead-off person shares some formative questions, and then in this virtual discussion room, we share encourage and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Charles Willard, Maple Grove, Minnesota. I'm Don Upton, and I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our lead-off person going to guide us through this discussion is our friend Sarah Mickelson, who's going to read the scripture too. Hello, Sarah. What's the good news? Morning, everybody. Welcome to the dining room table. Um, We're in Luke chapter 14. The instructions are to read verse 1 and then hop to verse 7 through 14. Um, In the middle of this is a healing of a person who has dropsy, which back then was something to do with um, an over, an insatiable thirst. It usually came from a person who might have had kidney disease or a person who might have had um, some sort of uh, uh, water intake and water retention problem. So from that perspective, we're going to talk about um, an insatiable desire for uh, honor in this case, but here's the scripture first, starting with chapter 1, excuse me, verse 1. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of the leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, and he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. Give this person your place, then in disgrace, excuse me, And the host who has invited both of you may come to you and say, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." That ends the reading of our scripture. Very interesting collection. Invitees and inviters. 
both of them are looked at cautiously and carefully. Um, I guess to start with, it's interesting that Jesus has been accused of eating with sinners um, and, and people who are unsavory. And here he sits down with a Pharisee. Curious. And then the conversation talks about what he sees, what he observes. So my theme this week has been around coming to a table or watching the table, standing around the table. And it made me think of the Lord's table. So I'm going to lay that out there for you. Um, so my first question is about coming to the table. In verses 1, 7 through 11, um, these verses offer a glimpse of guest behavior around a dining room table. First, what words, what do the words and they were watching him closely, imply. And when considering the observed table manners and the words of Jesus, what is revealed about God's realm? And I guess that's my primary question as I'm looking at this contrast between the the words that Jesus offers and what he observes. Carol, do you have any pearls of wisdom about this? No, I don't at this point. Thank you. Bill, what about you? Uh, First of all, I'll repeat what I said before the recording. Thank you for these questions. (laughs) They have really uh, challenged me. Uh, They they were watching him closely. I think uh, I infer that this is meant that maybe they're trying to trap him. That is said explicitly in other places. But I took it a a little differently. We are always being watched. You know, that comment, I believe it's in the book of Acts, outsiders saying of Christians, see how much they love each other. Um, So perhaps the purpose here is that Jesus is kind of on trial but it reminds us that our behavior matters. And I think getting to what I believe is your focal point this week, Sarah, how we deal with inclusiveness, uh, people watch that. Now, your second question or the second part was what is revealed about God's realm? And I think whenever we talk about God's realm, we're talking about ourselves. Clearly, Humans are portrayed as competing for power and prestige, even at a banquet. (laughs) Even a meal can become a place of vying for power. And God is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ as focused on serving others. Um, You Thank you for alluding to the part of this passage that we skip over. Um, why it skipped, I don't understand, but um, he's coming to this meal, and it's like he, Jesus pauses and heals a man and then goes on into this, this discussion. It's like, um, in case you don't get it, <laughs> we, I just illustrated how important it is to pay attention to people, particularly those in um, need. Now, in Luke, interestingly, there are three accounts of the Pharisees inviting Jesus to a meal. In chapter 7, 
during which the Pharisee wondered why Jesus did not discern that the woman there was a sinner and Jesus forgave her. In chapter 11, the Pharisee was amazed that Jesus did not properly wash before the meal. And now in chapter 14, we are told that the Pharisees were watching Jesus closely. So to me, Jesus is saying that dining with someone is what we would say today, a teachable moment, as well as fellowship. We can learn from how we act uh, during the meal. Now, various scholars point out the obvious link to Proverbs 25, 6 through 7 that says, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Assumedly, the Pharisees as students of Scripture knew that passage. Also, it reminds us of Mary's song in chapter 1, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. In a word, Sarah, it reminds us that God is on the side of the least of these. And I'll end there. John, what are your thoughts? There's always a struggle when I read commentators on this the, the, between the different pieces and how you put them together. And so I started with Will Up. So what is this about for me this time? And I had four parts. Usually I have two. The first two would be uh, this is about hosts who seat people. And, this, and it's about people who seat themselves. Now I've added to it, and it's about those not present to be seated, and it's about the design, the the divine taking a seat in the room. So I put the it's about those four, and that that allows the first two to flow together a little better because we the host and the guest, those are sometimes separate separate things. But when you have the divine taking a seat or those missing, or there are a lot of people missing here. I don't think there are even women in the room, right? So a lot of people missing. Uh, uh, that helped me. So your your question is, I think, great for folks that listen in who moderate classes or run discussion groups about this. So I would say one way to respond to Sarah Mickelson is to make a list in class. You can whiteboard or chalkboard this one. You know, what? What, why are they watching? I think really goes to your first question, why? The list goes on and on. I've been keeping the notepad with me since you sent me the questions a few days ago, Sarah. And it ties together what it means to have the design, the, the divine taking a seat in the room. Uh, they're watching just for fun because he is a notable person or a dignitary. They're watching because there's breaking news or they don't want to miss anything. They're watching because it's new or strange. I think I think there's a, there is a strangeness here, and people are attracted to that, and they want to see it. They're they're watching because it's a spectator sport, using today's terms. They're watching because they want to test or looking for opportunities to test. They're watching because they're going to be storing up the information they see to tell stories in the future, right or wrong. They're going to store this up. Of course, it's been stored up for us the author of Luke to be retold. So if there's a re- we know there's a retelling. How many people in that room want to talk about what happened yesterday? 
all of them probably. What did you see? Uh, a leader with authority, a standard bearer, has walked in the room. That's part of it. People are watching because he is a standard bearer. Uh, or a standard bearer who could be in conflict with another standard bearer who might be the host. And then I would add to that a stranger or an outsider. And I don't think, you know, we could, we could add 20 or 30 other things, but I think to start a class with that written on the wall might be interesting because it's probably all of the above and some more than what it means to have the divine walking in the room. And then your second part is what's re- revealed about God's realm. And I'd say, Looking at that list, it's an observable universe, not mysterious. Standard bearer walks in. He walks in. I can touch him. He's there. So this is a universe that is not mystical. It is present. It takes a seat, observable. It is contextual, time and place. It is accessible. I'm including the hosts and the guests. It is accessible if you choose Depending on who you invite, the divine is accessible in that room, but who's, who came to the party? Um, I'll, I'll flip it and say it's strange. And it's like a stranger walking in the room. The divine comes in. We think of the warmth and the excitement of having the Christ in the room. Well, it's also a stranger coming in the room. If, if all the things I listed while they watch is important. I think there's a strange reciprocity taking place here that's a little... It turns the tables a bit, uh, and I think uh, it's one that can only work if there's ongoing self-examination, uh, and you're allowing the divine to reset your own table. Kind of gets to where you're going to go with the second question. You know, whose table? Who re- what? Why are the table being flipped over? What's what's going on? And it uh, it flows everywhere. It is exclusive. Bill, you're talking about the obligations, the responsibilities here. But at the same time, it's not exclusive, which is part of the point that Jesus is making. So I I started making lists, Sarah, and I am today still making lists. Thank you. I thought it was interesting that um, tables are meeting places, meeting places for people, meeting places for ideas. Um, Some of the commentary I, I read talked about it It was considered a norm to invite people to a dining room table to have a conversation, to hear ideas and have people um, share their perspectives, especially um, perhaps about a particular scripture, a, a particular idea of the day. Um, so it was first and foremost a, a way of getting to know someone new or getting to know a new idea, or having a conversation around a new idea. So with that as our backdrop, um, it's interesting, you know, we see the disciples jockeying for position later, um, closer to uh, Passover and and glorification of Christ. Um, But we also see this collection of people um, having a conversation about who sits where, and what does that mean? Um, and who are you closer to on the table, the person who hosted or the person who is the guest? And oftentimes they would be you know, seated somewhat oppositionally so that everybody would have access and be able to hear. So I'm curious about this um, 
what does this reveal about humanity and the way humanity works versus what does this reveal about the divine and how the divine works? Um, and I'll talk more about that with question number two, but I think Jesus is showing us something, showing us a future that God holds, um, a table where we are invited and God will be greeting us as the host. Um, and, and are we the honored guest who will be, people will be hanging on our every word? Um, I think being watched closely is curiosity. Being watched closely is a bit of judgment. Um, you know, being watched closely might have been, we're, we're suspicious of this new teaching rabbi and the, the miracles he's providing um, of healing. And, and I'm a little cautious to say that he's on our side or he's not. So there may be some of that in the watching um, closely. Uh, the other thing is, is he a magician? You know, is he is it is there going to be a sleight of hand and we won't you know, we didn't see that before and now we're going to see that he's a charlatan. So I think all of those um reveal something about human nature. We are drawn to the spectacle, we are drawn to the things that we're curious about and um and we want to understand them. Uh be they a falsehood or be they truth, I think we're we're drawn to those things. So um, that's about coming to the table. Um, my second question is about approaching the Lord's table, which is a little bit different. In the book of Luke, there are so many tables that are, are presented and set or, or flipped over, for lack of better language. Um, I'll name a few. The wedding feast at Canaan, um, the celebration banquet for the prodigal son, the feeding of the 5,000, the rich man's table that Lazarus visits and begs for water. Um, these are some of the tables uh, that I thought about. And it made me think about uh, getting married and my mother having a conversation with me about whether or not we would make a signed seating at the, the dining um, feast after the wedding. And I, I was kind of not a fan of that. So I said, no, we will not be making a signed seat to let people sit with their friends family. Um, so without that um, constraint, I'm thinking about how wedding banquets are often have assigned seating. And, um, and what does this, what do these insights, um, what insights do you hear or does this parable prompt about how we approach and gather at the Lord's table for communion? Bill, you got any thoughts? Um, great question. Um, it, one of my thoughts is that sharing in communion can be an occasion to examine how we may have a sense of superiority and advantage over others. Again, the oft-repeated warning to us not to say they are, have this problem, uh, but how might we participate in that? In the 20th chapter of Matthew, the mother of James and John asked for special status for her sons. In Mark 10, James and John requested for themselves to sit at the left and right hand of Jesus in his kingdom. Uh, so I don't know, but at least it's a question that I want to raise for myself uh, whenever I sit at a table with a meal, but especially the Lord's Supper, how 
how am I participating in that? Also, uh, just as Jewish people were to remember that they were once slaves and were led into freedom, so we are to celebrate our liberation through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and to know that that forgiveness is offered for others. Then what really came back to my mind, Sarah, when I was away at college and working on becoming a Presbyterian minister, I was a candidate for the ministry under my local presbytery in Orlando. Um, I purposely visited a wide variety of churches, many different denominations from high church to Pentecostal churches. And for the first time, I experienced what I thought was an old custom, fencing of the table. That was a term that was once used, for example, the pastor would visit your home and examine you to see if you were worthy of coming to communion and you'd get a token. You can still find some of these tokens in uh, historic churches. Uh, and you had to present that token in order to uh, approach the Lord's Supper. And what I began to experience was there were churches where when it was time for communion or mass or whatever, it could be said, unless you're a member of this denomination, you are not welcome. In several cases, if you you were invited only if you were a member of that particular congregation. And I, I found this shocking. Again, we need to avoid feeling judgmental and superior, but I decided that I could not participate in fencing the table, that it is the Lord's table. Um, so um, Jesus's instructions about actively including all persons in our invitation, I think are particularly relevant at the Lord's Supper. And then let's be honest, when we sit in worship, how inclusive is the congregation? Racially, economically, socially, I think we're still a long ways from the goal that Jesus offers us. Thank you for the question, Sarah. John, what are your thoughts? I like uh, the concept of the advanced seating and preparation. And to each year, sometimes I read it negatively, and this year I'm reading it positively. The advanced seating, there's a place for you. Uh, we do it, I'll do it in my own little universe, you know, who am I sending advanced word to? Uh, but, you know, this is, this is, to your point, Bill, the intentionality of this is, you know, where are you giving a heads up? Who are you naming uh, for the advance? So there's a bright side to the advance, which is hold that day. There is a table prepared for you. And this is a challenge to, you know, who's on that list. If you dare to host, <laughs> I think there's a strong uh, burden there, almost like a, J a Book of James kind of thing, Bill, you know. If you dare, if you dare to teach, if you dare to host, if you dare to host, I put it right there with teachers now because they're watching, right? People are watching. It's very similar to a Jamesian kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, if you dare to do it, then who's on that list? If you dare to make a list, if you dare, then lead. And what does leadership look like? So I, I like advanced. 
you know, and I like save the dates because it's a reminder. There's, there's a t- table. There's a gospel to the, the advance. Save the date. Coming in March. There's a party. There's a wedding. And you are included. The dark side, which is, you know, I'm not included maybe, but I like, I like that. I think there's a lot of gospel in it this year. Uh, and then gathering together. Sarah, that what a challenging question about bringing the communion into this. Uh, I'll take a position just for fun to say, I think this is a workshop enabled to, for us to approach communion. It's a workshop. If you dare, <laughs> if you dare to take a seat, if you dare to host, if you dare to watch the divine, as that divine walks in the room, then this is a workshop. And the workshop's there for us every day. No matter where you're from, what walk of life. I've been... Uh, I was reading, preparing for this poetry from the Depression era, you know, and it's about people dining together, in, you know, waiting in soup lines. And they call themselves brother and sister, dining by the river, finding some scrap of food to eat. And they still talk about that banquet of the brother and the sisterhood. So I think that it's all a workshop, whether it's the landscape of a fancy party or you're getting together over lunch. I think, like, I dare, I, I dare you. If you host it, I dare you if you seat the table. I dare you to make a business luncheon invitation to think to be intentional about all these things because life is happening right there under your nose. You set a table, it's right there. I dare you. <laughs> so I see the burden and then I see the the opportunity too. So uh, for for the Christ, uh, there's the past, present, and future, Sarah. This is a reminder he was at the table. Luke's, the author of Luke says, I am reporting to you that information was collected. I am saying to you, this is what he did. And he walked in that room and he took a seat. And this is what he did. He was there. And then flip to the future. He is going to be there. He is going to have a banquet in the future. And for us, here's the I dare you. He's at the table. Divine walks in the room. The divine walks through the walls. The divine is present all the time. So I've got a happy, happy read, if I dare, <laughs> to take responsibility, whether I'm taking a seat or I'm on the outside or I'm a host. Uh, and I think the danger is, the, the I dare you is, I don't want to intuit or suggest that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm setting God's table. That's the, I think that's the trap. Uh, is my table hospitable, uh, but is it Christ's hospitality? I don't even know the hospitality. It's all Christ's table. I can't set it. I can't make it go. I can't do it on my own unless I think through all these things. I can't do it unless I see people. I can't do it unless I think about his being named and who might be missing. But in the end, I have to adopt the hospitality of Christ because this is saying to me, I can't do it really well myself anyway. I, not only is it Christ's table, but it has to be Christ's hospitality. I can't even get there from here. Uh, so I, I think for the hosts, you have to relinquish the role com- completely. You have to be totally given up that responsibility in order to do a good job or have that responsibility bill that you're talking about. That's what I've been thinking about there. Oh, thank you. All great thoughts. Charles, what about you? Thank you for allowing me to get stuck. Um, I'm I'm always amazed at the kinds of observations and 
byways and that that you all find and i'm 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 simply stuck and i want to draw your attention to uh the the the, the lines this the uh the verses uh, at the end When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. What does that mean? I have I have no idea. I where where does where does where does Luke leave this? Well, he doesn't leave it. He goes on, but he says when you when you give a banquet. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I'm, I just, I guess I'm confessing my, my puzzlement and bewilderment here. I'm not sure what Jesus anticipated his disciples were going to do. Uh, I'm not sure what Jesus anticipated uh, if that was the case, uh, uh, when he was in the house of the leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal, I just, this has just left me in, in a state of bewilderment, I'm afraid. Thank you. I I wonder about the transactional perspective of the meal that Jesus is invited to. It seems like it's, I want to be seen, I want to be seen with so-and-so, I want access to so-and-so. It seems all very um, worldly rather than divine. So I like, Don, where you took that question because it invited me to consider the gift of hospitality because what you talked about was hospitality to me. And... Uh, it seems like intentional hospitality to plan a meal and invite people. Um, where it goes into the weeds for me, Charles, is where you found it, because um, when we get to question three and we talk about who's being invited, um, it really kind of shook me to my core a little bit. And so in my observations around approaching the Lord's table, um, I think Jesus seems to shift the conversation to the guest list in an effort to draw the listener to consider who is beloved by God. It's not who's earned the right to sit at the table. It's a question of who's in need of the table um, and who needs the connection, who needs the community to come around them versus who needs to be recognized by the community as a leader, so to speak. So for me, um, it starts with it's more about loving each other than about being obligated or in debt to each other. So um, I, I'm just the, the Lord's table seemed to be the the, the crux or the the turning point, the shifting of the story. Um, in my thoughts, and it led me to asking the question: When we're setting the table, what are what are we should what should we consider? So Jesus shifts the focus um, from the guest to the host, and the instructions grow more difficult for me. 
Um, what about you? How do you hear and apply these instructions that we find in the verses um, 12, I guess, I guess, yeah, verses 12 through 14. Um, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends. Invite the people who are at the margins. Um, there is a, a, a charge for inclusion here. Um, and my question would be, are we still talking about a dining room table? Or are we talking about the gifts that you have to offer? So that's my question. Um, what or how do you hear and apply these instructions into your daily practice? Bill? I uh, appreciated uh, Mark Davis's distinction of the invitees and the inviter. That was a, a helpful concept for me. Um, and this question, uh, all of your questions are important, but for me, Sarah, this is the most important. It speaks to me particularly right now. And I think in the lectionary passages for this week is a passage from Hebrews 13. I will quote a brief part of it, verses 1 through 3. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. I love that imagery. <laughs> not only a stranger, but an angel. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. And I will briefly and carefully allude what would happen if in leadership at all levels we dealt with issues as if we were there? What if we live in a country where there is tremendous violence and risk? Would we have no understanding of wanting to get out of there? What if we were a parent having our child taken from us? Would we not have strong feelings? Uh, I, this concept of, and to me it's more than empathy, um, and you said this already, Sarah, it highlights the importance of hospitality and inclusiveness. And I remember as a child, uh, there was a missionary from India who spoke to us, and she powerfully said, don't you, this was in the 50s, don't you Americans dare feel superior to India and their caste system. You think it's horrible. Do you not have caste systems in America? <laughs> this was before the focus on the civil rights movement, and I still remember that. I was a young child, and she very powerfully, and we do have caste systems, which is, I think, at the heart of the current controversies over being woke, which is a concerted effort to deny the obvious reality that we have very powerful and excluding caste systems in America today. Now, a counterpoint. The lectionary script skips the following story in Luke, verses 15 to 24, the parable of a great dinner. 
which notes the excuses that people offer for declining the host invitation, okay? We're talking about being an inclusive host. Do not delude ourselves that by being kind and inclusive, everybody is going to embrace that invitation. That's just a helpful counterpoint. I don't know that that was Luke's purpose in including it, but that's the impact it has on me. Now, my final point. A scholar, I neglected to note which one, notes that in this passage, Jesus is the only one who speaks. Uh, Listeners were invited twice to speak in reply, but they did not. And for me, this may not be Luke's purpose, it's a signal that we need to listen and often not talk or argue. So I'll leave it there. The need, as one who talks a lot, <laughs> I appreciate and want to embrace the invitation to listen. You know, I um, I do like the idea that Jesus forces us to look at the guest list and consider what's important, who's important, and. From a hospitality standpoint, the question is, who are we giving this gift to? Who are we inviting to the dialogue that may not have been included before? Who are we inviting to the feast that may have stood at the outside and wished they had access to this table? Um, I'm not a fan of fencing the communion table, just as a general rule. It's not mine to decide who gets to access it and who doesn't. Um, and from that perspective, um, you know, I, I, I've told this story before, but jokingly, when I was very little, I didn't understand communion the same way I do now. And I thought that the size of the bread piece that you took indicated how much sin you had experienced that week and that perhaps you took as much as you thought you needed. So when people grabbed big pieces of bread, I was like, ooh, what did they do? Um, I was considering that perspective. I think I was all of six. or It dawned on me later that communion often happens late in the morning before a lunch meal, and people might be hungry. So people are taking bread according to the size of their appetite or their hunger, which is a wonderful image because then you're taking the amount of bread that you need to fill your soul, so to speak. Um, a little shifting of the thinking across time, which I think this table opportunity and this table metaphor gives us, that lens and that privilege to refocus and think about what does it mean to host? What does it mean to be a guest? How do you respond to an invitation? How do you respond to a host? Um, in a in a dialogue at the dining room table, or um, or how do you invite people who will fill your table with good conversation? Um, and, and if I if I have a choice, I want to go to Don's house for dinner. <laughs> um, so I like the idea that there's this planned and and well thought through um moment that this table, this seat has been specifically made for you. Um I think we get a hint of that at the Lord's table. 
So I think it is more about loving each other than being obligated to each other. It's not transactional. It's grace. And I'll rest there. Charles, do you got anything? No. I mean, I find myself really, really mystified. I Almost as though I'm listening to a, a completely different conversation. And I, I, I don't have any way to further define or identify that, but I'm, 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 I'm puzzled about where y'all are and where I find myself, and I, I regret that, but it's, it's where I am. Don, you get last word? Host to seat people, people who take seats, the divine walks in a room, and then the people who aren't seated. Now, and for the people who aren't seated, Bill, you got me thinking about this, is uh, they're taking seats. They're as fully human as anybody else in the room, and they dine together, and they have ways of connecting. It's just we don't see it. Any, and I want to say we, any we who are in a closed room with a group of people. Uh, but they have names. They aren't going to be made human by being invited. They aren't going to get names because the hostess decided to bring them in the room. They are full-blown human beings walking in that you haven't seen before. Host, <laughs> I dare you. And I think sometimes some of the some of the shallow readings of this is there's they're they're being rescued or you know it's like no, they're having dinner somewhere else, and they have and they're together. And they have names, and they call each other friend and sister and brother, just like you do in the room that you're in. And I, I wanted to highlight that as I'm thinking about that fourth dimension of they're, they're out there. So they're, they have their own fellowships, and they have names. And I was, I, I was looking at Mark Davis, too, and one of the things in his translation that jumped out when he talked about, you know, the calling out, it says, call aloud in a loud voice. Hey, you, Sarah. Bill, Charles, right over here. And the name, there's a naming going on. And outside the door, there's a whole world filled with people with names. Separate individual people, not summary, not hungry people. The nameless. These are name people. You just don't know it because you are doing the you. Like the host doesn't know it because. And I'm, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. So think about what's happening here, you know, Bill. 60 years ago, yeah, 60, 70, 50 years ago, within 100 miles, if you draw a circle around it, people are walking into the Woolworths or other lunch counters as a family, and they're not just sitting there. They, they used, they, they're used to having dinner together in other places, but they decide they're going to have dinner at the lunch counter. But they don't just sit there. They, they order, <laughs> Let's talk. They pray. They sing. They talk. They they come in and they all have names and they call each other brother and sister. There's a host, the the company, you know. And it's a shock. It's like you know, that's the stranger, right? Jesus, the stranger walking in the room. It's like, what is this? Who are these people? Make it more shocking. They didn't even look the same. I mean, it was like women and men and. And people of color and, 
and, and your your son and your daughter's with them, and you know it's like what is going on? So I'll hold that out in terms of the challenge for the American host. I dare you to serve them coffee. I dare you to call them friend. But when I saw Mark Davis, I saw you know the word friend pops out, the name and friend, and the opposite of that would be they would be a pretender, which I think that's what the host, the uh, the guests taking their own seat might be. Do you call them friend? You know what? What are they? And so there's this all those also this this concept of, you know, who's a pretender, and and I am uh, looking at the landscape of the room, which we get to go to every day, in our minds, in our own homes. What is that landscape? It's a place that's prepared for us by the host. I dare I dare you, host. That, that, I don't know about you, but I size up the landscape of a room, and that's okay because we get to look around. And I think there's a landscape at the lunch counter. There's a corporate landscape. There's an ethos. There's a landscape of the ethic in the room. What is that landscape that we're walking into? And then just like the Book of James, I dare you to size up that landscape. I dare you. I dare you to do it. It's, and it's right there at our feet. We don't have to go find it. It's just right there every day in what we're doing. So I, I, did, I, I was looking at poetry, and I want to talk about the outsider very quickly just by reading a piece of a 1927, note that, 1927 uh, a poem by Wade Oliver. He's going to do a piece of it called The Banqueters. Okay, so this is the category four, those not in the room but still having dinner together. If you have known hunger that rends and slays, gnawing your nights, darking your days, if you have looked on the four gaunt walls and envied the fly that battens and crawls, if you have grubbed in the alleys for bread and fought for a crumb and wished you were dead if you've slunk by the river brim and wondered if bones would sink or swim. And you're my brother. Hmm. Well, that ain't a room, but that's a room too. And they have names. Uh, and so I, I really, I, I, I think depression era poetry really pops out here because everyone's dining. Everybody's in fellowship. I think everybody has a name. That's what I've got, Sarah. I know it's we're running out of time here, but let me pause here and see if there's any follow-up before we say goodbye. I'm happy with this. I'm happy reading Luke. <laughs> and for folks listening in, Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street, that's in Tampa, Florida. That's where the four of us met, you know, in a class. And I think maybe we had meals together because they set a table for us in that church. And we don't all live in the same cities anymore, but we get together. And we, we commend their site to you, which is palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. And at that site, you'll find uh, scripture readings, great sermons, outstanding music, opportunities to take communion, uh, disagreements, uh, meditation. So check that out. And you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.